Hey, this is Stephen A. Smith from No Mercy. Festivals, football, flannels. Some say fall is their favorite time of year. And this fall, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed to help protect against COVID-19 variants. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster shot appointment as soon as you're eligible. And don't forget to enjoy the foliage sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. We thank Will Parkinson from Turn on the Jets. Always have to love a behind enemy lines, rivalrous and spirited dialogue and debate. Make sure you give that podcast a follow if, you, of course, you like hearing about how much somebody else admires, envies, or hates the Patriots as well. They're good guys. They've been at it for a long time. They do a terrific job down there. And as you can tell, uh, they're, they, they, they're kind of licking their chops a little bit this weekend. I think they think this is theirs. But we keep hearing that it's their time that now is their occasion, their opportunity, and it hasn't been for a long time. So just another one of the many reasons why this game is so intense and people are anticipating it. Now, let's make our way to the Patriot side of the street. Our buddy Andy Hart caught up with an excellent Patriots beat reporter and follow, our guy Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald, on just what the hell is going on down here? What's up with this offense? and the general state of affairs in Patriots Nation. Take a listen. Back here on the Six Rings and Football Things podcast for our weekly interview with a beat writer from Gillette Stadium. And this week, we have a very special beat writer, the president of beat writers here in Foxborough, Boston Herald's Andrew Callahan. And I joke about that because Andrew is indeed the president of the local chapter of the PFWA. And let's start there. What's it like to be the, I guess, uh, face, voice, and head of the media in New England, where we know Bill Belichick is a huge fan of coverage and the media. Well, if you want to know why I went bald at 30, um, that's it right there. But no, seriously, it's a lot of conversation with Stacey James, the head of their PR department, who, look, uh, he, he might expect me to say something nice because I have to see him all the time, but genuinely does a phenomenal job under very difficult circumstances, not only just for us in the media, but for him, because you mentioned Bill is very strict with certain policies. So it's a lot of texting with Stacy, uh, which initially set my then girlfriend, now fiance, off wondering, you're talking to the Stacy very late at night. <laughs> he's a man, he's married, he's, he's just for work. So yeah, it's really more about that and trying to get ahead of, you know, what guys are going to speak at the podium. And hey, when this quarterback like Mac Jones isn't available to the first three games of the season, why is that? Or what are the league because as we know the Patriots like to find loopholes and sometimes it means having to go to the NFL but uh, it's just also we get the right access that fans want and that everyone for the most part is you know following by the rules set by the league do you look at your job differently having experienced this the last couple years and do you have to play a little bit of a Belichickian cat and mouse back and forth game a little bit more yeah, I think so. I mean, there are certain instances where, like, for example, we talked to the assistant coaches, like, you know, once every two weeks, and they had a game. I think it was actually just uh, coming off the Monday night game. They were playing the Jets. Normally, we talk to them on Tuesday. When you come off a Monday night game, A, obviously you got no sleep. B, you have one game to one day to game plan, and then you go right back to practice on Wednesday. So Stacey comes to me and says, hey, can we move the assistants to Friday or later in the week? And I'm like, sure, because at some point, like any work relationship, you want to build up some goodwill. And so you're mindful of that is also, look, this is not where we're trying to be a pain in your ass. You know, we understand you're going to do as minimal as possible as just the organization under Belichick that's won a lot. But, you know, we're here in good faith, too. So, yeah, there's a little bit of politicking and understanding that, yeah, we can be flexible. Let's just make sure we don't get him at like four o'clock on a Friday because everyone listening, reading, watching is already going to be going off to do whatever their weekend plans are. And that's what we want to do is get coaches early so we can have the content for everyone to enjoy at home on their schedule. 
And we haven't had, and I don't think they're actually allowed to do this anymore, the old days of last day of the month, first day of the month, bang it out two straight days, nothing happened in between, nothing to talk about with those guys. So you're doing a fine job. Um, so let's get into the team. Enough about the media. No one cares about the media and what we bitch about. Oh, they don't talk to us enough or easy, whatever. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. Big picture question. Second half of the season for the Patriots coming out of the bye. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? I think I'm more optimistic than consensus, but I don't think that says a whole lot given the media around here. And I don't say that as like, this is all New England negative Northeastern kind of like attitude about the team. I think it's just, it's fair to say you can't learn a whole lot when you're playing quarterbacks like Sam Ellinger, Jared Goff, and Jacoby Brissett, and then losing to Justin Fields. Like you're going to learn a lot more against this Jets team, which is more talented than you. I just think if you're at six and four, you've got a real chance to make the playoffs. And everyone's looking at this game, I think rightfully so, as their playoff hopes hinge against the Jets. So I would just say, look, you're three and a half point favorites for a reason. You should beat them. It's at home. And right now I think everyone is kind of, oh, no, what's going to happen? And they very well could lose. I just think they're fairly slotted as favorites. And that, for whatever reason, makes me feel like I'm in the minority. And when you've beaten a team 13 times in a row, you're probably supposed to beat them the 14th time in a row at home. So obviously one of the big talking points going into the bye, coming out of the bye, Matt Patricia, the offense, what you're doing. And I think there, even Bill Belichick talked about it today when asked by Phil Perry, like, can you make big changes to scheme? And Bill obviously went into it. You can make big changes. You can make little changes. All depends on what you want to do. First of all, my question would be, do you think they believe they need to make big changes offensively? And kind of jumping off from that, are they capable of being a better offense than we've seen? Significantly better offense. The second question, yes, and that just starts with protection and then also Mac playing well under pressure, which really is a small sample of all of your offensive plays because you're talking about probably 50-50 split, right, run and pass, and then of all your pass plays right now, they've had about 30% of those under pressure. But Mac has been a disaster under pressure, and it's not all his fault. He can only hold on to the ball you know, if everyone's covered and there's nowhere to go with it. But they need to be better in those instances because, as I'm writing for the Herald this week, he has as many throwaways as interceptions under pressure, and that's just an untenable rate. Get rid of the ball, live to see another down. To the first question, I think they wanted to make big changes at the start. This was a downfield passing game leading the league in average depth per target, and you got rid of the fullback, you're not playing any more two-back offense, and they found out that big change is pretty hard. So I think now you just go, how can we fix our biggest problems? Let's start with the top of the priority list where right tackle has been a revolving door for pressure, or quarterback obviously is unsettled. If you take care of those two things, you can kind of run whatever you want, big changes, and I don't think you'll have to make those if you make those two fixes in the first place. So do you have faith in – So I mean, basically the way Bill Belichick talked today – he likes Mike Onwenu at guard. So the people that thought maybe he'd bump out to tackle and win bumps into guard, I would put that idea away because it felt like Bill put that idea away today. So it feels like with David Andrews back on the practice field, we're back to the offensive line that kind of started the year, this expectation that it's Brown, Cole Strange, because I know he got benched a couple times, but you don't really have any of your other great options. So young fellow, get back out there and be better. Uh, Andrews in the middle, Onwenu, and win. Do you, you, you mentioned right tackle. Do you have faith in Wynn that he can get out of this funk, whatever it is with him at right tackle, and maybe he's not happy to be there in a contract? I don't know what it is. Do you have faith that he can – because I do agree with you. The offensive line is where it all starts. Is he capable of, of getting out of this funk and, and being good enough for them to then have confidence to drop back and throw the ball for Mac to have confidence? I'd like to say yes. There's just no evidence of that. You know, like you would think, okay, the first few weeks and Isaiah Wynn is giving up. He had a streak of five straight games with a sack 
and a penalty. One of those would be a bad game for an offensive lineman, unfair as that is when you're playing, what, 60 to 70 snaps. But you can't have both, and certainly not both as consistently as he did. And you would think there would be at least some sort of progress with him. But you look at the two of the last three games that they played, he's been benched at right tackle. And you're having Marcus Cannon come off the street at age 34 from working on a farm in Texas to come play his old position in New England. You have Yanni Kajust, who's coming off of IR, thrown right into the fire and starting against the Colts. And they've all played roughly at the same level. Cannon's been a little bit better as a run blocker. I think when and this is no fault of his own, is just someone who can't switch sides. We saw this with Matt Light even 20 years ago. Great left tackle, couldn't play on the right side, and I think that's why instead of moving him to right guard and flipping him and Onwenu, the guard spot they're playing him is at left guard, obviously because Cole Strange you know, has been starting there and then got benched, but he's a guy that just has to play better on the left side. So do you think Wynn is the right tackle, or is should some consideration be made to putting Trent Brown back at right tackle where he's been good. And, and I mean, they have options. They don't have a lot of guys, and maybe the options aren't great, but they have a couple options. Or is it what I just said? Are we back to that normal offensive line? I think you're back to the normal offensive line because when you move Trent Brown around, I think you're just kind of, I don't know what the expression is, stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Like, you're just going to create another problem over there because Wynn has been drilling at right tackle since the spring. And I know they had conversations in the front office dating back to March and February about where you could move him in case he signed a certain offensive lineman or traded for another. So they clearly don't see him as a strength of left tackle, and I think that would only get reaffirmed in his first couple games. Back there, let's say starting Sunday, which are your biggest games of the season. Like we've all been talking about, you can't make the playoffs if you don't win this game in all likelihood. And so you can't afford to just try something out and experiment there. You just really have to hope that either win gets better or the coaches start helping him a little bit more. And that's with a quicker passing game. That's with chipping with running backs. That's having occasional double teams with tight ends. Or just keep these six-man protections and slide to his side. So Trent Brown's played 100% of the snaps. I see a lean in him a little bit more if he's healthy. And you just have to roll with that because the personnel's got to change, not going to change. You couldn't have made a deal at the deadline as far as I heard. And when is your most talented guy of him, Cannon, and Yanni Kajust, a fourth-year backup who, again, give up five pressures against the Colts. Like, it's... It's on par for win, but, you know, he's a lesser talented guy. So, Matt Patricia um, is the center of the Patriots offense right now, whether for better or for worse, whether he likes it, whether any of us like it. Um, I know it's kind of open season on him. People like to take pot shots at him that I, I personally feel are a little unfair. Um, I think he was put in a tough position by his boss, Bill yeah. Belichick. And But do you – is the, so we're talking about when can he fix it or the line can – is Matt Patricia in the role he's in, play calling, predictable, taking on criticism from guys not just like you and I or not just fans, but Dan Orlovsky's of the world, like experienced NFL analysts, is Matt Patricia capable of being better enough leading this offense down the stretch for them to be better? Because we know the defense is going to face some challenges. You're probably going to have to score more points to win games over the second, eight, second half of the year, the final eight games. Is Matt Patricia the man for the job? I mean, man for the job, probably not. But similar to win is like, you got to work with what you got. You know, you got to go into war with who's next to you. And right now, that's Matt Patricia. I think you do have some hope that with more experience, you get better. Again, I just said we haven't seen any evidence of that from win. But if you cut the season off at six games, you know, they have that big win at Cleveland. You look at that game as I did and say they made excellent adjustments against a brown a bad browns defense which we can admit but that showed progress from a guy who was kind of banging his head against the wall at miami and then pittsburgh where he finished the game with some good adjustments against the steelers but then you go against the colts who had a top seven run defense and he's handing the ball off in eight of their first 11 first down plays and you're not playing with two tight ends when they were the worst defense in the league against two tight end personnel so 
yes, I think there's evidence that he can get better. And I think you're not going to hand the reins to Joe Judge, who my understanding is is as involved as some other guys with the passing game plan. It's not just on him like it was with, obviously, Josh McDaniels when he was a quarterback's coach. So you need more from Troy Brown. Vinny Sinceri is involved. Nick Cayley, like, But I think as far as the play calling goes, you just have to hope Matt Patricia took that bye week and said we need to lean into some of, and this is Bill's words, complimentary plays to offset what some defenses are starting to predict and jump on against the Colts, against the Jets. You mentioned them needing more, and um, this is a while now because we've settled into Judge and Patricia. It is what it is. We had those debates in the offseason. But you mentioned his name that could contribute more. Why was Nick Cayley not a real option? Why? Like I look at his resume and say he was the obvious next in line. He was tight end coach, which is involved in the passing game, the running game. He was in all those meetings with Josh McDaniels forever. He was in meetings in the past with Dante Skarnecchia. Why is Nick Cayley not the centerpiece of this offensive coaching staff? It's a good question uh, for Bill, who wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't tell us, because you also look at him as most experienced off offensive assistant, but he's also coaching the position that's most involved in the offense, right? Like after quarterback, as a tight end, you need to know all the run blocking schemes. You need to know certain pass blocking schemes, especially with play action, and obviously run a lot of routes. So he's a guy who's coaching all facets of the offense, and you look at the coaches who've gone on to be head coaches across the league. Brian Dayball started here as a tight end coach. Sean McVay was a tight ends coach once upon a time. Even Arthur Smith down in Atlanta, tight ends coach. These guys understand offense. So I think the reason, if I had to guess, because, again, this is a question for Bill, is, is probably similar to, you know, why they didn't want to poach Bill O'Brien, who obviously has, you know, ties to Alabama. The Nick Saban stuff put that to the side. He wants to be a head coach one day. If they felt that Nick Cayley was a flight risk, you don't want to keep going through all these offensive coordinators year after year. I believe Kaylee's contract is up after this season, and if not next, and that to me would be the big reason why. You say he'll just have to swallow this pill of Matt Patricia leaping, leapfrogging him in the coaching rankings, and until then, just sit tight, coach tight ends, because Bill believes in Patricia, but I think the best choice for this year would have been Nick Kaylee, someone who's been in the offense and works with a position that touches all corners of it. Okay, so I posted a column this morning that didn't get great reaction um, with the idea that Matt Patricia should have turned the job down. That Matt Patricia should have, as I said, uh, Dirty Harry said, man's got to know his limits. That he should have known his limits. It wasn't a good idea. It wasn't really logical. I mean, this is an aeronautical engineer. He looks at things logically. Now, I know he probably has a lot of confidence and ego, and we all do. Do you think he should have considered that, like should have known? Because we all seem to feel in the spring this could be bad. <laughs> this could be a disaster that, you know, I know Christian Fourier was early on the Mac's going to regress. There's going to be a regression in your quarterback, and that's – Maybe the worst byproduct of all of this is Mac. Should he have considered turning the job down? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he's if you go to Matt Patricia's detractors, and let's not you know keep the New England media out of it, right? Like we hadn't seen him most of the last four years. You go to Detroit and the players that were coming out of there were ex-players Matt Patricia's had. They'll tell you he's just arrogant. Like there's an ego-soaked nature of how he handles himself and conducts his business, which to me would point to a person who feels like they could take on any job or perhaps even two. Like he maybe doesn't turn down the role as your kind of lead offensive assistant. Um, but if you don't, then – Decline the offensive line position. You know, take on the offensive coordinator role, even if it's without the title, call whatever you want. That's a job unto itself. So is coaching offensive line, which after coaching, you know, quarterbacks is the most important assistant job on any staff down from the coordinators. And so you're, you're coaching the largest position group, one that's going to, you know, totally generate your run game and obviously protect your quarterback. That's huge. Like the reason, you know, he's not paying attention to them on the sideline, even if he's calling plays and talking with the quarterbacks, it's too much. And I think our, our buddy Tommy Kern was on this as far as I heard earliest. He's been in 
put in a position to fail, like you said, and I think that's just been borne out. So, yeah, I think turning down one of the two at least uh, probably would have been a wise idea. Okay, so I avoided it. I think we need to get to Mac Jones because he is the franchise quarterback, I say, with some hesitancy. I don't even know. Um, At the end of last year, we thought he was the franchise quarterback. Like, he was going to be here for the foreseeable future. I've used the phrase broken. I think he's been broken over everything that's happened from summer, like early training camp. You know, I know a lot of people were like, all those reports about early training camp, it doesn't look that bad. No, no, no. It looks that this is the Mac we've seen. The guy who has to pull the ball down and run or spin out the backside of the pocket and try to do things that I don't think he really wants to do aren't really part of his skill set. As Orlovsky says, his superpower when drafted was his brain, his decision-making, his accuracy, and other things are keeping him from maximizing or utilizing those. Do you think Mac is broken right now? And do you think there is a question internally as to whether Mac is the guy, or is this just a, a rough patch? After the honeymoon's over, this is a rough patch in a long marriage. I think the second question, yeah, I don't think they know for certain because now we're getting to a sample where you can't just say the entirety of his rookie season was so smooth because statistically, yes, it was one of the best ones. But in the latter half of that year, his play really dipped. And it was probably just because, look, he's a kid who came off a national championship campaign, jumped right into the combine, the workout, straight into here, quarterback competition. You just kind of run out of gas. But that play has continued so far this year where he's ranked among the worst quarterbacks in the league. Pick any metric. And, yes, a lot of that has to do with the coaching and the personnel around him. But I just don't think there's a lot of evidence to say, yes, he's definitively a franchise quarterback, top 10, 12, 15, whatever, moving forward. As for the other part being broken, I I don't think he's broken to a point of no return. Excuse me. But I think you can fix him. It's just a very fine line. Like, he's not someone who's going to elevate – an offense or create offense on his own like a lot of these dual threat quarterbacks can which i've equated to you know guys in the nba who can get a bucket late in the shot clock like third and seven everyone's covered you're in the red zone late in the game you need to either be able to run or extend to play long enough like a josh allen patrick mahomes and forget the arm talent for a second so that your receivers can get open or you score yourself mac jones is never going to do that So in that environment, you need to make everything around him much better. And I think the coaching needs to bring the passing game closer to the line of scrimmage, not lead the league in average depth of target like they did weeks one through three. You need to generate more quick game, more play action, more RPOs, because those are stuff that we saw him thrive with at Alabama. Forget the receiving talent. The scheme and the protection needs to be better because when he's in a clean pocket, he's very accurate. He's very smart. And now you're just not letting him do that because of all the interference and the things we've already covered. So transitioning into this game, and it's another matchup of 2021 first-round quarterbacks, which um, hasn't gone so well this season. Justin Fields won that matchup, embarrassed Mac Jones, the Patriots, and sort of catapulted himself to a new level. I think people are more positive on Justin Fields of late, in part because of what started against the Patriots. Now you have Zach Wilson, who I believe lost the game for the Jets last time around. (laughs) I think the Patriots could have been blown out if it weren't for that flag in the second quarter, and certainly the Jets could have won the game at least if Zach Wilson didn't do Zach Wilson things. The funny thing is, Zach Wilson isn't doing Zach Wilson things against other teams. He's now 5-1, and he's become a bit of a game manager, and do you find it in any way interesting that the, the gunslinger in New York is becoming kind of a game manager to win games, and the game manager in New England was asked to maybe become a little bit more gunslinger to start the year and isn't really uh, suited to, to live that lifestyle, so to speak. And are we seeing a re-tiering once again of those 2021 quarterbacks with Zach Wilson maybe 
jumping over Mac Jones, which I never thought I'd say. Yeah, it's a really good point about them kind of switching styles because, you know, in that game against the Jets, Mac Jones came back to being Mac Jones. Like, you still had the turnover, but his arm got hit, the pick six, yeah. Jacoby Myers ran the wrong route. But Zach Wilson absolutely imploded. In the games he hasn't imploded, the Jets win because you can still win with a game manager in the NFL in 2022 with scoring down, rushing up, and defense is starting to play better. I think the Patriots really, though, have, you know, the right game plan for Zach Wilson, which is we're going to force you out of the pocket. We're going to play too high. We're going to make you be patient and frustrate you because we know inevitably you're going to throw one up. And Miles Bryant told me this in the locker room after that game. It was a similar game plan he had for him in 2019 when Miles Bryant playing at Washington played Zach Wilson at BYU, and he was like, we just know he's going to throw one up. So certain teams, you know you can get away with that. But if Zach Wilson matures, that's really the battleground here because the Patriots, yes, pressured him about – 40 to 45% of the snaps, any quarterback inevitably is going to get flustered. But not flustered to the point that he's trying to throw a ball away and Devin McCourty's like, oh, thank you very much along the sideline, another pick. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. But, you know, the talent with Wilson is there. I still just wouldn't bet on him over Mac Jones because Mac Jones' bad mistakes are not from, like, just horrific judgment. It's just bad judgment. And you can still get by with that more than what Zach Wilson's been doing against the Patriots. So, uh, this game, a... You said it earlier, could decide the Patriots' postseason path or fate. Do you believe the Patriots beat the Jets? And then bigger picture, if they do, do you think they make the playoffs? Are they a playoff team? This is tough because I, I wrote a piece earlier this week saying their odds will go down to 17% according to 538, but then you start playing around with 538. Well, if the Bills lose and then the Dolphins lose, that goes up a little bit. And all these things have to happen. Where We have to remember we're basically at the half point of the season. Now, Thanksgiving comes. Belichick always says that's when football starts. Everybody knows the schedule gets really tough. There is a world in which the Patriots lose to the Jets and go on the road against primetime Kirk Cousins and win on Thanksgiving against the better Vikings team because that's football. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And either way, win this week, lose the next, lose this week, win the next. You're at 6-5. and five. So I think they beat the Jets, which would put them at 6-4. and four. Your odds look really good. And regardless of what happens down the stretch, I think they're going to be in the mix because there's another world in which you could be eight and nine or nine and eight and still in, still in there. I think they get to nine and eight, but their fate really will be in somebody else's hands come week 17 and 18 against the Dolphins and Bills, who are obviously going to put up a big fight. And you were hoping, honestly, probably the Buffalo rest of starters that last week. That's not going to happen now. So that'll depend on everything that happens outside of New England because the Patriots aren't good enough, I don't think, to kind of run the table here against those teams. And so if they can get to 10 wins, it looks great. But I think this is still probably a 9-8, 8-9 team. So you, I was, that was going to be the last question, but you made me think of something else. Yeah. Robert Kraft has been um, pretty pointed in his criticism the last couple off seasons about drafts, about not winning a playoff game, about wanting to be a contender annually. So your season, they're in it into the last week. Maybe they make it and get blown out like last year. Maybe they don't make it. But if they don't show significant improvement over the course of the second half of the season, how does that sit with the man that sits in a really nice office on the second floor of the building we are in right now at Gillette Stadium? And do we see ramifications from that in the offseason, whether it be coaching staff, uh, front office, power struggle, anything? Do we see changes based on that? I'm not there yet. I understand why people are because, again, like the comments you said in March, you know, he's going to say we haven't made the playoff or won a playoff game in three years. The rest of the league's going like, yeah, welcome. That's that's life around here for 31 other franchises. But ultimately, I think the like any sort of change would just be Kraft initiating a conversation with Belichick about probably Patricia or how are we going to help Mac or what's going on with the defense. 
And then the result of those conversations, though, I still think will be wherever Belichick wants to take him because he has the trump card of all up and leave. Like, he's been in New England and happened in New England because, yes, they've won. They've won because he gets to call the shots. As soon as that power is infringed upon, as much as Robert Kraft has every right to infringe upon that power as the owner of the franchise, Belichick will, will, will leave. And then you're left with, well, how do we rebuild with a new coach or who do you pick to replace him? So I think they'll find some sort of happy medium. And if Be- Kraft says, like, look, you need to move Patricia elsewhere or have some sort of consult, maybe that's the change. But I think Belichick is going to put up as much pushback against any kind of idea because they'll have a ton of cap space. Max still in a rookie contract, very team friendly. And you can add a couple more weapons or fix the offensive line. And now you're ready to take off. There's still a ways away from that as we sit here at 5 4 going, oh, can they beat the Jets? But I, I just, I'm not there yet where Kraft forces him out the door because you'll still have made the playoffs, you know, last year. And, you know, you're, you're working with a team that still has a lot of opportunity moving forward. And it's coming off of a couple of really good drafts. He's Andrew Callahan. Read him in the Boston Globe. Follow him on Twitter. I mean, Boston Herald. Sorry. <laughs> Cardinal Sin. That's like saying Mac Jones is the quarterback of the Jets. Cardinal Sin. He's Andrew Callahan. Read him in the Boston Herald. If you're a media member and have a complaint about the way the media works here in New England, complain to him. He's the president of the local PFWA chapter. This has been another check-in with a guy from the Patriots beat on a Wednesday here at Gillette Stadium. This is the Six Rings and Football Things podcast.